Let's pray before we begin. God, as I stand up in front of your people to bring your word, I also recognize many faces missing, and I'm certain that much of it is because of illness that's going around as the sun becomes lower in the sky and the air gets colder. God, I pray that even when illness strikes us, that we would still see your hand at work, your sovereign, omnipotent hand, working all things for your glory and for our good. Even when we're sick, help us to lift our eyes and smile at the face of Jesus. God, your word is often confusing and exciting at the same time, so I pray, God, that today you would reveal how when we don't understand, your Son gives us understanding and reveals to us a greater hope than we ever anticipated. Open our eyes, light our hearts aflame to delight in you right now from your word. Amen. Imagine for a moment with me that you have just been offered two free tickets to a 10-day vacation to the big island of Hawaii. You might not know a whole lot about Hawaii, except that it's sunny and warm and much more tropical than what we experience here in Minnesota. So you daydream for months thinking about how wonderful this vacation is going to be. You need this vacation. And all you can think about are white sandy beaches and palm trees swaying in the gentle warm breeze, minor birds squawking as they look for scrumptious exotic bugs to eat. And you close your eyes and you think about the waves crashing on the shore. You can feel the spray of the water on your face. Every successive wave beating into your heart more and more anticipation. And then the next day finally comes when you fly out and you have this 10-hour flight and each hour builds the excitement to make this dream a reality. And finally, ding, this is your captain speaking. Please prepare for landing. So you buckle your seatbelt loosely so you can scooch really close to the window and look out at your awaiting paradise. But it's a little cloudy. You have to wait until you get beneath the clouds. The anticipation is growing and finally you approach the runway to Kona International Airport and you break through the clouds and see black rock as far as your eye can see. A desolate wasteland is Kona International Airport. You wonder, did I go to the wrong place? This isn't what I expected. There's no trees, there's no life, there's no beaches. Someone paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Looking at the airport in Kona, you think maybe you've landed on the moon. Your excitement just drops into confusion. But you've got a free vacation, so you might as well make the best of it. You decide, I'm going to get a good rest today and wake up in the morning, and someone suggests, calm down, why don't you go to the other side of the mountain tomorrow? So you say, I'm going to get up early in the morning. I'm going to head in my little four-cylinder geo-rental car and scale this mountain and go to the other side and see what hope lies there. And as you cross over the ridge in the morning, 
The sun rises up over the horizon and then reveals before you a beautiful, lush, tropical paradise. It's like the heavens opened to you and welcomed you into paradise with a big smile. You dive in to your new paradise and realize it's far better than what you ever dreamed. The dreams that you had were insufficient to describe the world that you have just been immersed into. The sounds of nature are like an orchestra playing for your ears only. The colors are more vibrant than if a rainbow had landed right in your front yard. The sun rising on your face leaves the warmth that you feel as though the Father has just blessed you with a smile saying, Welcome, my child to the place I've prepared for you. Most of you probably won't get to experience that kind of excitement in a trip to Hawaii, but you can probably imagine a time where you were really excited, building with anticipation for some moment, and when that moment arrived, it just fell flat. You were disappointed. And perhaps you realize later on that it's actually through some of these moments that God reveals to us that He is doing something far better than we ever anticipated. John the Baptist had one of these spectacular moments, even better than Hawaii, as we're about to see in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. But before I read the text, let me just remind you of where we've come from to set the scene and build that anticipation along with John the Baptist. So, a few weeks ago, we began in Matthew chapter 1 and found out that Jesus was born miraculously in the line of David to be the long-awaited Jewish king who was going to finally come and set all things right in Israel. But this great king had a little bit of a detour to make. He had to head down to Egypt because the king on the throne in Israel wanted to kill him as a little child. So they headed down to Egypt for a little while, and when that king died, finally they make their way back and settle north of Jerusalem in the land of Galilee. And then we don't hear much about Jesus as a little boy growing up until John the Baptist arrives in the Jordan River. And that's where Jake left us last week. He preached on the message that John proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming soon. He knew that he was the forerunner to the Messiah and that the Messiah was going to come and make all things right. He warned people, get on his good side very quickly because he's coming in power. We're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit and join this revolution. This was going to be an amazing experience. So with that anticipation, let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the waters, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So already we see this incredibly exciting and confusing story of Jesus coming to John to be baptized by him. John was expecting Jesus to show up and start throwing Holy Spirit fire all over the place and beginning this revolution. He was going to share his power and usher in the kingdom. He was ready for this and he was let down quite dramatically. What? You, you come to baptize, be baptized by me? But then, instead, God does something incredible, revealing He has even better plans for John and for us. So as we go through this text together, I want you to see how Jesus fulfills every command, every expectation that God has ever had upon humanity in order to bring God's smile finally onto His people. The main point here is that Jesus is showing Himself to be the head of a whole new creation. And He's inviting others to join in this new creation to receive God's approval. So we're going to work up to this point by splitting the text into two parts. The first half, verses 13 through 15, trying to figure out why Jesus is baptized. What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? And then in the second half, See how Jesus' righteousness earned God's blessing. And then after these two things, I hope to briefly describe why we baptize people here. Why we are Baptists. And uh, we're planning a baptism service hopefully soon, and there's a few of you among us who are going to be joining in that. So why do we do that? And how does that tie into what Jesus is doing here? It's an exciting time here at Redemption City Church that we get to dig in and explore and experience at the same time these things together. So, first, let's take a look at the first half of our text in verses 13 through 15. I'll read those again. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, saying, Let it be so now. For thus, in doing this thing, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So you can feel already John's anticipation, just this big letdown, this confusion that he has. Wait a second. We saw... Jake preached last week on how greatly John anticipated this Holy Spirit baptism. He was ready for a great display of power, finally. And then, Jesus arrives just as planned. He knew He was coming. He was preparing the way of the Lord. And He comes walking up to the Jordan just as He knew He was going to. And also, He knew from His Old Testament Bible that the Messiah who was going to come after Him would be the most righteous man who ever lived. He wouldn't need to be baptized. He doesn't need to repent. Everyone needs to bow down and repent before Him. But then, Jesus comes and asks Him to baptize Himself. John's thinking, whoa, whoa! 
You got this backwards here, Jesus. This baptism signifies repentance, starting over. You don't need to start over. I do. I need to be baptized by you. John moves from excitement over this great revolution that's coming to confusion and resignation about this change in direction. But Jesus insists, so John says, okay, let's do it. And this is where things get really confusing. Jesus explains by saying, let's do this because I need, we need to fulfill all righteousness. And John says, oh, okay, sounds good, let's do it. And I'm going, excuse me? That didn't clarify anything. In my mind, this is where I'm getting more confused. John may be more satisfied with that answer, but I need to dig deeper to find out what fulfill all righteousness means. So what is that fulfill all righteousness? Many people have tried to answer this, clarify this with uh, various interpretations and Many settle on the idea that righteousness in the book of Matthew simply means to do what is good and pleasing to God. And tying that into verse 17 where God says he's well pleased. But then, so that would mean God told him, hey, I want you to go be baptized. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go do it. And therefore, he fulfilled all righteousness. He made his father happy. That's not too satisfying to me. John Calvin says that Jesus did it as a consecration experience. It's kind of a setting apart for ministry. I'm doing this thing now to launch me into ministry, set apart for God's work. And he's setting an example for us. So when we get baptized, we are being set apart for ministry into the future. But I still don't think that's digging deeply enough. I uh, humbly admit I'm uh, disagreeing with one of the sharpest minds in Christian history. I don't think John the Baptist, when Jesus said, fulfill all righteousness, is going, okay, I get it. So you're doing this thing to mark your future so that people in the future then can also do that and keep looking to the future. But Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to set an example for everyone who follows me. He doesn't say, this is a ceremonial cleansing to prepare my way to the future. He says to fulfill all righteousness. It's not setting an example for the future, but the word fulfill means looking to the past. What was anticipated, expected long before, and finally satisfying that anticipation. So what is the anticipation from long ago? What's happening here? Well, as we've seen already in the first couple of chapters in Matthew, Matthew is walking Jesus through a retelling of the story of Israel. He's heavily relying on Old Testament imagery, bringing it all in to show that Jesus is a new son of God on the scene. He's a new Israel. Israel had this amazing, seemingly out-of-nowhere birth. They show up in Egypt, and then they explode into a whole new nation. And then, like Jesus, they have a coming-through-the-waters moment. And then next week we'll see that Jesus has a wilderness temptation season, just like Israel did. And then after that, a time on the mountain with God's law, just like Israel did. So Matthew's showing us that Jesus is a new Israel. But it goes even deeper than that. 
Because Israel was also a new type of something. It appears that what's going on here is a whole new beginning of creation. Jesus is starting something as monumental as a new heavens and a new earth. Oftentimes when God would create something new, it would come through the separation of waters. So if you look at Genesis chapter 1, right there in the first couple of verses, the whole earth is covered in water. And the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. And out of that water comes land, and the waters separate to make sky. New creation out of the waters, anointed by the Spirit hovering over it. And that new creation was given a head, a leader. Adam was the covenant representative of all of this new creation. He would represent the creation to God. But then this creation was destroyed by a flood, which again covered the whole earth in water in Genesis 6 through 8. And Noah there became the new covenant head, the whole earth covered again in water, and he sends a dove out to hover over the waters as the Spirit. And it brings back news of life emerging again. And Noah sent out to be the head of the new creation. And then later on, we see Israel emerge from the waters of the Red Sea, anointed by God to be God's representatives to all the nations, the head of this new creation. But in every one of these cases, all of these new creations and these new sons of God, they were unfaithful. They couldn't fulfill the righteous expectations that were put upon them. They couldn't bring long-lasting, eternal, pleasing life to God. And so now Jesus comes to the Jordan River and basically says, I'm starting everything all over, brand new, but not with a flood. I promise not to cover the earth in a flood again. As the waters parted in the first creation, Jesus parts the waters and has the Spirit of God descend upon Him. And if you see at the end of chapter 1 of Genesis... God declares this new creation very good just as Jesus comes out of the water and says He is pleased with this creation as well. By being baptized, Jesus isn't, is just identifying Himself with previous creations and sons of God saying, I am a fully human representative, the appointed head of a new creation humanity. Like Adam was, like Noah was, like Israel was meant to be. But Jesus is going to satisfy all the righteous expectations that they could not. So fulfill all righteousness means He's going to fulfill the demands upon a righteous head of creation. Those other guys couldn't do it, but Jesus will show that He will usher in a new humanity into God's pleasure. He will fulfill all righteousness expected of a leader of creation. Let's move on to the next point. Jesus emerges from the water and something more spectacular than what John ever thought could have happened suddenly unfolds before his eyes. This Jesus receives God's approval, not his rejection. Look again at verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water And behold, the heavens were opened to Him and the Spirit of God descended upon Him 
like a dove. In the Old Testament, when the Spirit came upon somebody, it was a way of anointing that person for a special role or a task. It was a way of saying, I have called you and empowered you to lead my people in this way. So you'd see a prophet or a king or a warrior be anointed by God saying, you must lead my people. And now the Spirit in the same way comes down upon Jesus confirming that what He is doing is good and right. Confirming Him as the leader of God's people now. As I uh, think about anointing, it reminds me that this is a good moment to stop and clarify something that I often say and I've wondered if it might have been confusing. So, I often use the word Messiah for Jesus, or sometimes I might say Christ, and then because we're in Matthew, I'll jump to King and sometimes just say Jesus, and some people might be wondering, what do all of those titles mean? Well, we've been defining King, so we should probably, we already know what that means. So let me clarify that a little bit. The Greek word Christ actually means the exact same thing as the Hebrew word Messiah. They're the same words, just in different languages. But both mean anointed one. So Christ isn't Jesus' last name. He doesn't come from the family of Joseph and Mary Christ. He is Jesus, the anointed one. And so we see here that Jesus announces his new plan of bringing in a new creation humanity, and he gets God's anointing, the stamp of approval. The blessing of the Spirit. Many people in the Old Testament had an anointing similar. The Spirit would come upon them and give them power, but this one is different. Here, God's anointing goes even further. He's the anointed one who brings God pleasure. So in verse 17, we see God say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus wasn't just given power to accomplish a task. He wasn't just given a stamp of approval and saying, go on, go do that. He received the smile of God. The loving Heavenly Father looking at Him and saying, I delight in you, my son. You make me so proud. What son doesn't want their father to do that? And when they receive that, it sends them off into a task knowing that they can accomplish anything because their dad is there for them. So right in this moment, Jesus begins a new creation humanity. He receives the simultaneous blessing of both the Spirit and the Father. Father, Spirit, the entire Trinity is there at the same time confirming this right and good moment of all things inaugurated to be made new. Adam had disappointed God. Noah failed to keep this new creation together. Israel became just like all the other nations. Just as wicked as everybody else. All of us disappoint God in so many ways and deserve His condemnation. But this new head of creation shows Himself faithful to receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit and the pleasure of the Father like nobody else in history. So this time, he promises, things are going to be different. This new creation will bring life everlasting and pleasing to God. So then, where does that leave us? If 
We want to get out of this creation and enter into that new creation. How do we get that? This scene at the Jordan River is so much more than a spectacular vision of God's interpersonal Trinitarian dialogue between Father, Son, and Spirit that just adds fodder for systematic theology conversations before our worship. If we want to connect to Jesus and be part of His new creation, how do we do it? Well, because I'm a Baptist, I'm going to say the answer is baptism. We are a Baptist church. We believe that a person beco- when a person becomes a believer, they die to themselves and they picture that through baptism. We say, repent, start over. And we picture that by putting them in the water. But why do we do that? Well, one simple reason why we put people in water is because Jesus told us to do that. In Matthew 28.19, He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So we do it because He told us to. But also we do it because the disciples took that very command quite literally. And we see from the book of Acts that they go everywhere preaching Jesus, repent and be baptized. And people turn from their sins, put their faith in Christ, and immediately put them in some water. So we do it because the disciples did it. But going even deeper, Paul comes along and writes these marvelous letters explaining why we do all these things. Paul says that baptism signifies our union with Christ. His favorite way of describing our relationship with Christ is this phrase, in Christ. It's everywhere. We saw that all over the place in Ephesians when we preached through Ephesians. Literally, to be baptized means to be immersed into something so fully that it covers you. What a picture for us to be put in water to show us covered by Christ, immersed in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you have been immersed in Him. And this simple picture of baptism shows your new faith covered in Christ. So Paul says in Romans chapter 6, That baptism symbolizes us dying to our old self in Christ. When He died and was buried in a tomb, when you believe in Him, your sinful, corrupt, dead heart was buried, died and was buried with Him there. And when He rises from the grave to a new incorruptible life, when you're believing in Him, you rise to new life in Him. So being baptized in the water is like dying, leaving that old life behind and rising from the grave to a new life. But things get even more exciting. Paul says in Galatians 3.27 that when we're in Christ, we're baptized into His righteousness. We're raised to a new life that's covered in His righteousness. So just as the water drips over us from head to toe, soaking wet, in the water that we've been immersed into. So we are immersed, covered in Christ. When God the Father looks down upon us, He no longer sees us fearful, full of sin and shame and guilt and rebellion. He sees Christ covering every part of us. And if God is well pleased with His Son Jesus, and 
Christ is covering over every part of us, that blessing of being well pleased with His Son becomes our own. That declaration that this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased is pointed at all of us who are in Christ because we are immersed, baptized into Him. One more thing before I finally tie it back into Jesus' baptism. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, we are also baptized into His body. We don't just get saved and it's an experience between me and Jesus. We're baptized into Jesus and His body. Part of the whole universal church of God from all times and all places. We are immersed into that life. And when we get baptized into the water, we come up out of the water surrounded by a church, a family, a new body that we are part of. We are immersed into that life full of people who are encouraging us and teaching us and lifting us up to live like Jesus. Our simple act of baptism into water shows this glorious, eternal, spiritual truth. So with that wonderful picture of immersion in Christ in mind, let's tie it back now to Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3. When Jesus goes into the water and emerges as the head of a new creation, He is just... Excuse me. He's just like us in our humanity, declaring that He is a fitting leader for us. He's doing this ordinary thing to symbolize something even more extraordinary. If we want to be a member of this new creation, if we want to receive that Spirit anointing and the pleasure of God smiling upon us, how can we receive that blessing? We must be baptized. We must be found in Christ. So Peter, in his first sermon at Pentecost, goes out to all the people and preaches, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, be careful to hear what Peter is saying. Hear what I'm trying to preach. It's not that being put under water and pulled out of that water that saves you. And then you receive the Holy Spirit from, being, from getting wet. What saves you is being immersed in Christ being covered by His righteousness, dying to yourself in His death and rising with Him to new life. That's what saves you from your sins. And this water baptism is simply an ordinary, physical, human way of showing an invisible spiritual reality. When we're baptized in water then, we join with Jesus in His baptism into a new creation. When we're baptized in our water and come up, we are a new creation. We say we are in Christ. We are under the head of Jesus, our new leader. And then we can proclaim with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, immersed in Christ, baptized in Christ, covered in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. It's dead. It's buried. It's under the water. And out of the water emerges, behold, a new creation. The new has come. 
John thought a powerful revolution was about to take place in Israel. But God showed him something far better than a revolution. An entirely new creation with Jesus as the head, receiving the smile of God so that all who join Him in this new creation can receive the anointing of the Spirit and God's face smiling on you. You cross over from that black desolation of sin and death and despair. And you go through baptism and come up and see God saying, well done, my beloved child. Welcome to the place I have prepared for you. Let's pray. God, we are desperate for that kind of joy from You. For You to look upon us and smile and say, well done, my beloved servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest I have prepared for you. God, we desperately want that. And we can see it all available to us right there in Christ, the One who makes all things new. So would You do that for us, even right now? Would You make our voices new so that we could sing to You with a new praise? Would You make our desires new so we could want all the right things? Would You give us a new vision for life? settled on the new creation coming. God, help us long even more for Jesus to come. Knowing that You, in Your providence, in Your sovereignty, this new creation that You began in us, You will sustain it by the power of Your Word and You will complete it until the day of Christ. Help us live with that anticipation for Your glory and our great joy. Amen.